We are going to get into the Word, Ephesians chapter 4, and I'm going to try to go a little bit faster through this, and I'm going to give some, some room for some, some dialogue, some Q&A at the end, if there's some time. So I'm going to pray, and we'll get started. Father, thank you for your Word that is a lamp into our feet and a light into our path. Your Word that builds up, that, that imparts grace, that sanctifies us, that equips us for every good work, that teaches us. And Lord, we ask that You would renew our minds tonight as we open up Your Word, that You would influence us with truth about who You are and, and what You say and how we're to live because of all that Christ has done. And I pray that specifically tonight You would motivate us to pursue holiness with all of our might, to pursue you and to pursue holiness. In Jesus' name, amen. We are in Ephesians chapter 4. We've been walking through the, the text in this part of Ephesians, starting in chapter 4, is a pivotal time, a pivotal spot in the book of Ephesians because it's, it's all practical now. You know, one of the things that's awesome about, great about Christianity, that it's just, it's not just idea and theory, but there, there's practical ways for us to live and walk out as Christians because of all that Christ has done. And so now we're getting to the part of walking it out. And Pastor Mike shared last week in, in the first part of Ephesians 4, and, and one of the verses was that we are to walk in a manner worthy of our, our calling. And now Paul tells us in, in Ephesians 4, verse 17, not to walk as the Gentiles do. And, and then he gives some specifics of, of how we're to, we're to do that. So the big idea is simply this, is that Christ followers are new creations. So they are to live like Christ by renewing their minds and decisively putting off the old self and putting on the new self. So you're a new creation if you're a Christian. And so you're to live like it. Now, if this sermon sounds familiar, like I just preached this a few weeks ago, it's because in Colossians chapter 3, the last book that we went through, there's a parallel passage to this that says some of the exact same things. But this is where we're going. We're going here again because that's what the text focuses on. And I think this is good for us to focus on specifically the pursuit of holiness. Holiness is something that God takes seriously and we should too. God calls us to, to live lives that are different because we are Christians. So verse 17 says, Now this I say and testify in the Lord that you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do in the futility of their minds. They are darkened in their understanding, alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to their hardness of heart. They have become callous and have given themselves up to sensuality, greedy, to practice every kind of impurity. But that is not the way you learn Christ, assuming that you've heard about Him and were taught in Him, just as the truth is in Jesus. To put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life and which is corrupt through deceitful desires, and to be renewed in the spirit of your minds, and to put on the new self created after the likeness of God and true righteousness and holiness. Amen. So we'll stop there. The first thing I'd like to look at is this diagnosis that the Apostle Paul gives uh, for all of humanity. 
All of humanity, and he did this in chapter 2, all of humanity has been divinely diagnosed by God. And here we have the Apostle Paul, God speaking through, the Holy Spirit speaking through the Apostle Paul. And he gives this diagnosis of the, the human state, the depravity of mankind. You see, mankind has a major problem, a major sickness. And it's not merely just the injustice in the world. It's not merely economic struggles in the world. It's the human heart and the depraved nature that every human is born with. That's our problem. That's our problem. And so verse 17 through 19, the Apostle Paul gives some descriptions of the Gentile way or or the depravity of the old self. And some of those descriptions include futility of mind. They were darkened in their understanding, alienated from the life of God, ignorance, hardness of heart, callous, sensuality, greedy, impurity. This is God's diagnosis of of humanity apart from Christ. In chapter 2 and 3, the Apostle Paul was talking positive about the Gentiles, right? They were fellow citizens with the Israelites. They were brought into the, the household of God, the family of God. But now he's specifically addressing their lifestyle. The Gentiles are accepted and brought into the family of God through grace. But here we got a lifestyle that, generally speaking, that the Gentiles live by. Of, of immorality and impurity and unrighteousness. And, and while Gentiles who come to Christ by faith in Christ and trust and, and receive grace are accepted by God, regardless of what race or nationality or socioeconomic status they have, they're accepted by God through Jesus Christ, just as the Jews are forgiven and redeemed and, and saved through Jesus Christ. Yet their old way of lifestyle is not acceptable. And so it's something to get rid of. The Ephesians were steeped in all kinds of dark practice, pagan practices. And so they had a lot of baggage that they had to get rid of. They had to get their minds renewed. They needed to be changed from the inside out. And this is important for us because we have a lot of immoral issues in our day. And people identify themselves with their sins. And they count your rejection of their sin as you rejecting them. So take, for example, homosexuality. So as a Christian, if we reject homosexuality as an acceptable practice, which we do, right? Because the Bible teaches that we're not to practice that. Or adultery, or fornication, or so on. And he addresses some of those practices in chapter 5. We're not to accept that. We're not to accept that as something that should be in our lives as Christians because we're new creations. This is the old self. So this is the diagnosis of the old self. And God has declared that all have all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Romans chapter one, there's some parallels there as well. If you want to look into that again, when you go to the doctor and the doctor diagnoses you before he gives you any medicine to help you get better, he diagnoses you with with what's wrong. Right. He gives you he tells you what the what the problem is. And the problem is our sinful nature and our sin that Christ deals with. He paid for at the cross. And yet, as Christians, do we continue to sin? Anybody, anybody as a Christian not sin since you've been a Christian? 
So we've all, we've all sinned, right, as, as Christians. So Christians aren't perfect in our practice. You know, and that's, that's the sanctification process that the Apostle Paul is calling the Ephesians to walk out. They're to put off that old way of living, and it's a process. It's, there's this renewing of the mind that has to take place. So we've been diagnosed by the Creator that, that all of humanity is, is sinful. But look at this verse in, in number, verse 20 and 21. He says, but that is not the way you learned Christ. Assuming that you have heard about him and were taught in him as the truth is in Jesus. That is not the way you learn Christ. So the Ephesians had come to know Jesus. They had come into a relationship with Jesus. The NSAB says, if indeed you have heard him and have been taught in him just as the truth is in Jesus. Christians have heard the voice of the Son of God and they've come alive. If you're a Christian, it's because you heard Jesus, maybe through a preacher, maybe uh, through a gospel track, or you picked up a Bible, and, and the message of the gospel was sowed into your life. You heard the message, you heard God speaking through the message, and you were awakened, you came alive. Jesus in John chapter 5 said this, he said, Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me, has eternal life. He does not come into judgment, but has passed from death to life. Truly I say to you, an hour is coming, and now is here, when the dead will hear the voice of the Son of God, and those who hear will live. You see, the Ephesians had heard Jesus. They've heard Him. They heard His voice when they heard the preaching of the Gospel and responded and they came alive, Paul said in chapter 2, they were dead in their sins. And, and God raised them up. This is what makes all the difference here is verse, verse 20 and 21. It's that we come to know Jesus, and this is our vision here, that we know Jesus, love people, and impact our world. That's where it starts. That's where a change of life starts. Because God changes our heart. When we come to know Jesus, we become new creations in Christ Jesus. We are enlisted in a school, a school of discipleship, where we sit at the feet of Jesus, and He's our Lord and Master and Savior and King, and so we listen to Him. And we've, we learn from Him. We learn how He lived, and we listen to His words. The truth is in Him. So Paul says, you know, let all bitterness and wrath and anger, anger and clamor and, and slander be put away from you. Jesus said, you've heard it said, that those of old you shall not murder. Whoever murders will be liable of judgment. But I say to you that every one of you who is angry with his brother will be liable to judgment. And whoever insults his brother will be liable to the council. And whoever says you fool shall be li liable to, of hellfire. So Jesus talked about the issue of anger, being angry with people. And in your anger, speaking words that tear down. Be kind, and be kind to one another and tenderhearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. Jesus taught that we're to forgive. He says in, you know, in the Lord's Prayer and how He taught us to pray in Matthew chapter 6, forgive us of our sins as we forgive those who've sinned against us. If you forgive other, of their trespasses, your Heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others of their trespasses, neither will your Heavenly Father forgive you. 
Another one here, you know, Paul says, verse 25, put away falsehood and speak the truth with your neighbor. And Jesus said, you've heard it said, those of old you shall not swear falsely, but shall perform to the Lord what you have sworn. But I say to you, do not take an oath, either by heaven, an oath at all, either by heaven, for it is the throne of God, or by the earth, for it is his footstool, or by Jerusalem, for it is the city of the great king. And do not take an oath by your head, for you cannot make one hair white or black. Let what you say simply be yes or no. Anything more comes from the evil one. As Christians, we've learned Christ. We've come into relationship. We've heard his voice. We've heard his teachings. And we've submitted to his teachings. We've become his students. We've become his disciples. We've become his followers. And he says, verse 22, that you're to put off the old self. Put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires. And be renewed in the spirit of your minds. And put on the new self created after the likeness of God and true righteousness and holiness. So let's just talk a little bit about this pursuit of holiness. Holiness is more than just merely abstaining from certain things, like not seeing certain movies or or doing certain things. But but there's also this pursuit, this putting off and this this putting on. The, The sanctification process is more than just abstaining from. There's this fleeing from, but then there's also this active pursuit of what's good and what's right. And this specifically occurs through the renewing of our minds. It's the renewing of our minds that is the, the means that God uses to change us. Because it's our, it's our minds that are bombarded with all kinds of thoughts that are, that are impure and unrighteous. Recently, looking at the presidential debates and the updates on Donald Trump and Hillary Clinton, you know, a lot of these things that Paul says to put off like, are coming out. In the presidential debate, you know, anger and slander and evil speaking and so on. And these are things that are like right before our eyes, you know, that it's kind of it's kind of defiling, you know, to sit there and just watch one of those debates and hear all the comments and all the things that are being said back and forth and all the stories and all the dirt on both sides. I mean, it's kind of defiling. So if you've been staying up with the presidential debate like myself you may need some renewing of your mind just from that alone. You may need to just have the, the Word of God wash and renew. And that's another reason why this text is relevant for us tonight. Because Paul is addressing these Christians saying, put those things off. Don't, don't live like that. You know, we're bombarded with all kinds of thoughts, especially in this day. We, there's studies that say that we've, we, we, an average person has between 30 and 70,000 thoughts a day. I mean, we're just loaded with emails and text messages and notifications and, and advertisement. And there's just all these thoughts coming our way every single day. Some of us have more thoughts than others. Uh, but we're just bombarded with thoughts. And the scripture over and over gives us instruction to, to take our thoughts captive, to renew our minds, to let the word of God be an influence there. Jesus even prayed this. He prayed that. His church would be sanctified by the truth. That the church would be sanctified by the truth. So Paul says, put it off. Put off that old, that old self, that old way of living that's corrupt. It's deceitful. And be renewed in the spirit of your minds. Put on the new self created after the likeness of God. And again, one of the things that's different between Christianity and the average 
moralism or, or self-improvement is that, that the gospel changes us at the core. We become new creations. We're created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. The Bible uses language like we're born again. We're a new creation in Christ Jesus. And, and that's who we are. And, and so Paul, in chapter 5, verse 8, he says, You were once darkness, now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of the light. This is who you were. You were like that. Now, now you're a new creation, so live like it. So this is huge. This is huge that we get this. That we get that the gospel transforms the core of who we are. Yet we have this part of intentionally pursuing holiness. Holiness doesn't come and, and, and develop in our lives through merely coasting spiritually. Just like, you know, muscles don't just start developing on your body by osmosis or by not going to the gym and not working out, right? You know, you have to be intentional and exercise the muscles that God has given you if you want those muscles to get stronger, right? And what happens if you don't exercise those muscles? Many of us have seen guys who were like built up here that it, it all went down there, right? You know, after not working out for them. <laughs> and so we got to exercise. And that's this last part of the second half of Ephesians is all about walking. It's about exercising, living out our faith, walking it out, walking out our Christianity. Be aware of accepting a Christianity that is mere talk. Be aware of accepting a Christianity that has no power to change people's lives. That changes people at the core of who they are. And then their actions, there's fruit that comes because the root has been changed. The heart has been changed. Now, I, I, I don't preach perfectionism, sinless perfectionism, when, I, when it comes to this pursuit of holiness. Because I know that we're not perfect. And, and this process of sanctification is a process. And, and there's, there's work to be done. And we can only do it by the grace of God. Verse 23, so there's, most of the translations would say, be renewed in the, in the spirit of your minds or something like that. And they would use a lowercase s for spirit. The NLT is one translation that uses a capital S. I'll just read it. And instead, let the Spirit, capital S, renew your thoughts and attitudes. So there's one, one, at least one translation that would say this is referring to the Holy Spirit. Most of the other translators would use the lowercase s. And like the NIV kind of captures the idea in that, which says to be made new in the attitude of your minds. So I'm, I'm trying to explain here. What does it mean to be renewed in the spirit of your minds? Be renewed in the spirit of your minds. Perhaps the best view is that it refers to the principle that regulates or controls the mind. In this sense, the spirit of the world is the principle that controls the world or makes it what it is. That's Charles Hodge. Martin Lloyd-Jones says, Thus the spirit of the mind is not just mental ability, but the power that controls and directs the abilities. Paul means that our entire way of thinking and what controls our thinking needs renewal. We need to think in line with God's thoughts as revealed in His Word. 
Now, I would agree with most of the translators who would, would lean towards the lowercase s there. But I would also agree that we need the power of the Holy Spirit for that renewal to take place. And Paul explicitly in Romans 8.13 says that we are by the Spirit, the Holy Spirit, to put to death the deeds of the flesh. That's one, that's one great thing about Christianity. One distinguishing mark of Christianity is that we're not left to our mere willpower to try to work out or work for our salvation. We, we have God working in us. We have, we have our pardon paid for, so we don't have to try to get our pardon paid for because it's been paid for. And we have this new power through the Holy Spirit to live a holy life. He is the Holy Spirit. And He leads us into holiness. And so what does it look like? Practically, what, do, what does this pursuit of holiness look like? Verses 25 through 32 and give us some specifics of what this pursuit of holiness looks like. It says, Therefore, having put away falsehood, let each of you speak the truth with his neighbor, for we are members of one another. So, your words. Speak the truth. Verse 26, Be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger. And give no opportunity to the devil. Let the thief no longer steal, but rather let him labor, doing honest work with his own hands, so that he may have something to share with anyone in need. So if you've been a thief, stop stealing. (laughs) And work. And work hard so that you can give to those in need. By the way, that, that used to be me. Before I was a Christian, I was a thief. And I'm not, I'm not proud of that. Praise God I didn't get killed stealing, you know, breaking into people's cars. Because people get shot for that kind of stuff. I think it's a miracle that God can take a thief and change their heart and make them a generous person. I think it's a miracle that God can take a liar and make them love the truth. I think it's a miracle that God can take a sexually moral person and give them purity and and, and enable them to walk in purity. I think it's a miracle that God can take a drug addict who's bound in addiction and set them free to serve others. And that's been my experience. I've experienced the miracle of salvation. Not only forgiveness of my sins, but freedom from being dominated by sin. If you're a Christian, you've been set free. And we're to live like it. We're to live like we've been set free. That we're free indeed. So if you've been lying, stop lying. If you've been stealing, quit stealing. Now this is probably going to hit a little closer to home. Verse 29. Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only such as good for building up as fits the occasion, that it may give grace to those who hear. So now we're talking about our words here. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Let all bitterness and anger and wrath and clamor and slander be put away from you along with malice. Be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, even as God in Christ has forgiven you. So we're to put away falsehood and instead speak the truth. Don't lie, but speak the truth. And speak the truth in love, verse 15 says of chapter 4. We're to... Give no place to the devil by fostering anger, bitterness, and unforgiveness, but rather resolve it promptly. This is another practical thing. If you want to live a holy life, put off your anger. 
your anger towards your spouse, your anger towards your children, your anger towards your co-workers. Put it off. Get rid of it. Now, verse 26, he says, be angry. And I don't think this is a command for us to be angry. Be angry! Yes, I can do that. Okay, we can all be angry, right? I think, I think what he's saying is, in your anger, because you know, assuming that we're all going to get angry, there's legitimate reasons to get angry as Christians. The psalmist got angry, expressed it towards God. God gets angry and is angry at sin and, and sinners, hardened sinners, right? God's wrath, chapter 5 says, His wrath is coming upon the sons of disobedience. So there's a legitimate place for anger in the Christian life. Yet what this verse is teaching us is to resolve it promptly. Resolve it promptly. Don't foster it. Don't nurse it. Don't let it stay within you. He, he says, don't let the sun go down on your wrath. Now, if you live in the part of the country you know, where the sun, you know, you got more daylight hours, you might have a little more time there, right, to be angry. I don't, I don't think that necessarily he's, he's trying to be that specific, but I think there's a principle here is deal with it promptly. Deal with anger promptly. Don't let it stay within you. Because if you don't deal with it promptly, verse 27, I believe you give an opportunity for the devil. Not just with anger, undealt with anger and unforgiveness and bitterness, but evil speaking, of course, stealing, and, and the list goes on. All the things that he's already mentioned here. Don't give place to the devil. This should be a motivator for us when we think about we have an enemy who is out to destroy us. So don't give a place to the devil. I was thinking about this opportunity. Don't give an opportunity to the devil. Or one analogy I thought of is like a foothold. And those of you, maybe when you were younger with your siblings or friends or something, friends or siblings tried to keep you out of a room and, you know, you get your, your foot in the door. Once you get your foot in the door, you know you're, you're going you're gonna to get in, right? My, my children, my two oldest, like to lock out their little sister. They like to lock her out of the room and, and go play by themselves. And uh, I'm sure there's times where she's like, you know, trying to get, get her way in there. But once you give that little foothold, you give that little opportunity to the devil, he can tear stuff up in our life. And specifically here through, through bitterness. Bitterness defiles those around you. If you have children, if you're harboring anger and bitterness and you have children, man, you are going to damage your children if you don't deal with that. If you're married and you're harboring bitterness and, and anger and an offense and you cut your spouse off in your spirit, it's going to give room to the devil. So this should be a motivator for us to, to deal with that. Lastly, don't destroy others with your words. Rather, build them up. This is amazing to me that we can impart grace to people's lives through our words. We have the ability with the things that we say to impart grace in the people's lives. Okay, so I just want to want to practice this just right here for us. And Vince, I have watched you, Vince, with your family, with your wife and your your children, and uh, and I communicate this to you in a, in a text message. But your example of how you love and lead your family is inspiring to me, and uh, I, I believe that that God delights in you and delights in your family. I'm excited for what He has in store for you. So just want to encourage you with that. So simple encouragement right there. We can impart grace and build up our brothers and sisters by simple words. 
Kevin, I, I have felt from you, man, I have felt so much support. Um, I feel like you've been one of the, the, the biggest uh, encouragers uh, for me uh, recently. And uh, you just checking up on me, praying, you know, just texting. And, and I, I appreciate you, man. I appreciate your love for the Lord and your love for people. You value relationships. I mean, this whole loving people, I mean, that's, that's what you're about. Loving, knowing Jesus, loving people impact your world. You're about that, man. You, you embody that, and, and I appreciate your example, um, your encouragement. I'm, I'm delighted to, to walk with you. Andrew and, and, and Amanda. I just, well, first of all, I just want to say I love everybody here and just I'm grateful for City Church Garland and just being a part of this church family. And I, you know, I, I talk about you guys a lot and just tell people what, what an awesome team we have, what an awesome core team we have. Andrew and Amanda, I'm just, I'm so encouraged by God bringing you through the season you guys just walked through and seeing you guys on this side of it and just see you guys be faithful through the difficulty and, and love the Lord, love your children. And trust God, you know, this song, trust, I'll trust you, Jesus. I mean, you guys walked through a season where you trusted Jesus, for real, on the ground. You trusted him with your family, with your job, with your life, with your hopes and plans and dreams. And uh, I'm just encouraged. I'm encouraged to see God's faithfulness in your lives. Um, I think you guys are an awesome, awesome example of godliness. And you guys... Are role models in, in many ways. I think you guys have several things that would be worthy for many of us to, to imitate. Amen. I could just keep going around the room and do this, but this is just a simple practical way of using our words to impart grace. And the Holy Spirit's on that. The Holy Spirit wants to communicate the heart of the Father to us. And, and, and build us up. In verse 30, he says, Do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. I think many of those things that were mentioned are ways that we can grieve the Holy Spirit. Bitterness, anger. And again, the Holy Spirit's the, the, the one who leads us into this life of holiness. The Holy Spirit is the one who produces Holiness, the fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. The Holy Spirit does that. Lastly, verse 32, don't treat others rudely, but rather treat them better than they deserve. Treat others better than they deserve. Verse 32 says, be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. Did we deserve the forgiveness that we got from Jesus? Did we deserve his kindness uh, towards us and his grace? We didn't deserve that, right? So that's grace. Our relationship with Christ is based on grace. He has treated us better than we deserve. And that's how we're to treat one another. That's what gospel-centered, grace-based relationships look like. That's what grace-based parenting looks like, treating your children better than they deserve. 
a gospel-centered, grace-based marriage, treating your spouse better than they deserve, a gospel-centered church, treating one another better than, than we deserve, loving one another like Christ has loved us, being kind to one another. You know, the Scripture says that God's kind even to the unthankful and the evil. Yet they, they, they don't recognize God's goodness and kindness, and they, just, and they mock God, and yet God just shows kindness over and over. Be tender-hearted to one another. Be aware of getting hard, having a calloused, hard heart through the deceitfulness of sin. May we have tender hearts here at City Church Garland and, and cultivate tender hearts, tender hearts of love and compassion. So let me finish up with this. Motivations for pursuing holiness. So first is the depravity and destruction of the old way of life. Just consider how destructive living in the flesh, living, letting that old self dominate your life. Let that be a motivator for you to put it off, to deal ruthlessly with sin. Uh, number two, you've come to know Christ. You've come into a relationship. I'm assuming that everybody here has come to know Jesus. I mean, ultimately, God knows that for sure. And, and, and I think it's interesting that Paul kind of worded it like he, he did, where he, he gives a little caveat, assuming that you've heard him, right? Assuming and you've been taught by him, assuming you've become a true disciple of Jesus. So you've come to know Jesus. If you've come to know Jesus, then that should be a motivation for you to live holy. Now, if you haven't come to know Jesus yet, you need that first before this pursuit of holiness. Otherwise, you're just going to get mere moralism, mere religious duty. Okay, And that's a bunch of duty not worth pursuing, right? You need to know Jesus. And from root of being abiding in Him, being connected to Him, fruit will come. Uh, you're a new creation in Christ Jesus. That should motivate you. So Paul uses language here, put off and put on like clothes. Like the putting off and the putting on of clothes. Old clothes, the old outfit that has holes in it, that's stinky and uh, unattractive. Now, some of us guys were like, I really like that shirt. I really like those shoes, you know, we, we, some of us like, we're, we're so fond of these old, stinky, worn out clothes, and our spouses are like, you need to give that, uh, when, I, when me and my wife got married, actually before we got married, uh, she like, she sifted through my, my, uh, my wardrobe, because I, I had some baggy pants, but my, my wife wasn't having it, she wasn't going to let me, you know, have these super baggy pants, and you know, some of the stuff I was wearing, she just, anyways, I had to get rid of some of those old clothes <laughs> and put some new clothes on. And as a Christian, we have new clothes. We have a new outfit to wear that's described as love, kindness, um, tenderheartedness, patience. Uh, and the list goes on. Humility. We're to put those things on. Another reason that we're to pursue holiness and specifically don't, don't lie is that we're members of one another. You see, your lack of holiness or your pursuit of holiness in your life affects the body of Christ, either in a positive or a negative way. How you're living and your, your pursuit of God, your, your coldness towards God and the things of God affects the body of Christ, affects the faith of people around you. Or your spiritual fervor and your love and your joy that you have in Jesus affects people around you. And what, which do we want? We want what's going to affect them in a positive way. Speaking the truth, even when it hurts, you can give the devil an opportunity to destroy in and through your life. So that should motivate you to live holy. 
you can have something to give those in need. This should motivate you. This should motivate you to be a generous person. God changes the greedy heart and puts a generous heart inside of Christians. A great place to start in, in our giving is, is tithing, I believe. You know, since I became a Christian, that's something participated in. And that's been something that's helped guard my heart from the love of money just overtaking it. You know, just a simple principle. Old Testament, honoring that Old Testament principle. God, this 10% yours. And then on top of that, beyond that, you know, giving freely and joyfully to, to others in need. That's a blessing. That's a good thing to walk in. That's what Christians should be marked by generosity. Seven or number seven there. You can impart grace through your words. Eight, you can grieve the Holy Spirit through your words and actions. And then the Spirit dwells in you and He sealed you for the day of redemption. You, Christian, have the Spirit of God living inside of you. And you can grieve Him through your words and actions. But He has sealed you for the day of redemption. That should be a motivator that you're the temple of God. And lastly, Christ has forgiven you. So we're, we're to treat others like He's treated us. These are motivators... I'm going to stop here. I've gone too long.